the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour. We always look forward to our visits. Uh, This is AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Jeff Sennis uh, does our engineering each weekend. Andrew Herdliska produces our show. And uh, Brian Zond is with us. Uh, He's in Estes Park, Colorado. Uh, We're going to talk about his new book, A Farewell to Mars, An Evangelical Pastor's Journey Toward the Biblical Gospel of Peace. David C. Cook is the publisher. Uh, Brian, it's nice to catch up with you, and thanks for joining me. Hello, Pat. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Farewell to Mars. What does that title mean? Ah, yeah. Farewell to Mars. Well, you know, there's a famous book, A Farewell to Arms, by Ernest Hemingway, so it it might be a riff on that. (laughs) Uh, Mars is also the Roman god of war, so maybe... uh, Maybe it's a story of how I learned that uh, following Jesus and waging war may not be as compatible as I had just assumed for most of my life in ministry. Maybe that's what it means. I don't know. <laughs> well, there are nine uh, interesting topics that we're going to talk about, so uh, let's dig in. Uh, topic one, that preacher of peace, which is in quotes, that's the first topic, the first chapter. Uh, where are you going with this? Well, I'm working from uh, a Russian novel uh, by Bulgakov, The Master and Margarita, and this is a very interesting novel. I can't really sum it up very easily, other than to say the most fascinating part of this novel is he imagines this conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm not sure that he gets Jesus exactly right. I think uh, Bulgakov imagined Jesus as maybe a little bit weaker than the gospel, than the uh, Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I think he gets Pilate just about right. And um, they are having a discussion about politics, and it seems as though that Pilate, in Bulgakov's imaginative novel, uh, kind of likes this peasant preacher from Galilee, but finally realizes that, in fact, what Jesus is preaching is a threat to the Roman Empire, and he's going to do what he's going to do, and that's he's going to crucify him. Really what I'm doing in this chapter is I'm trying to get the reader to see that Jesus was, in fact, far more political than we tend to imagine him. I think what has happened, and I think I trace some of the history in this first chapter, is for the first 300 years of Christianity— from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, up until the time of Roman Emperor Constantine, um, Christianity was viewed something as a rival to the Roman Empire, so that when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he's actually talking about God's way of arranging human society. But with Constantine, you have the first uh, Christian emperor, whatever that means, and Christianity is given a kind of favored status in the Roman Empire. And what happens is, uh, and I think it was maybe an inevitable mistake, I'm not here to throw stones at the Church Fathers from 17 centuries ago, but what happened is Jesus' radical edge of politics gets muted, and Jesus becomes something of um, a chaplain to the state. The Secretary of Afterlife Affairs is what I sometimes refer to Jesus as after. Uh, Constantine. In other words, Jesus' mission then gets reduced to getting souls into heaven and not redeeming the world through his radical uh, idea called the kingdom of God. And I think one of the problems that we've had as um, modern and especially American evangelical Christians is we believe in Jesus as Savior and sort of a big nebulous 
especially post-mortem, go to heaven when I die kind of way. We find it very challenging to take his ideas about peace, justice, freedom, uh, the kingdom of God very seriously, because suddenly we find that that is a direct challenge to the way that we have understood the world to be and should be arranged. That's a long kind of ramble there, but that's, that's what I'm working on. And I tell a lot of my own story, because part of this book, good part of this book, is autobiographical. I'm telling my own story of being very much uh, kind of God and country and, and really believing that God was on our side in all of our military ventures and wars, and how I really came to uh, wonder if that is actually the case and whether or not I was, I was somehow compromising my commitment to Jesus Christ and his kingdom in that unthinking, uncritical allegiance to militarism. The second topic, Brian, Brian Zond is our guest, author of A Farewell to Mars. Uh, second topic is repairing the world. Uh, what's going on here? I'm working with the, uh, the Jewish concept of Tikkun Alam, and it's an expression that means literally to repair the world. And I'm trying to help the reader to see that the mission of Jesus Christ from his Father is not to save parts of people for another world, which is the way we've kind of thought about a salvation for far too long as a kind of uh, Gnostic, post-mortem uh, salvation that really it's about what happens when you die, but rather taking the Gospel accounts far more seriously and seeing that the mission of Jesus is, in fact, to restore what has gone wrong with God's good uh, world, his creation, including God's vision for human society. And so that's what I'm working on in that chapter, is to see that Jesus is actually not just um, not just an equation, not just a factor in the equation so that we can go to heaven when we die, but actually he is sent by the Father to redeem this world and to set things right. And uh, so that, that's what I'm doing in that chapter. And now I want you to talk about the third topic, Christ against the crowd. Ah, that's a very interesting one. My father was a judge, and uh, so I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a political family, if you will. And he was also a very wise man and deeply respected in the community. And I can remember my father saying to me on numerous occasions, he would say, Brian, just remember, the majority is almost always wrong. Mm-hmm. And what he meant by that? was that the crowd, well, Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, he said it this way, the crowd is untruth. And the reason is, is the crowd is the majority, and it has power, and it's interested in preserving its position of power and privilege. And for that reason, most of the time, the crowd is wrong. And the most dangerous thing that we can encounter is a crowd under the sway of an angry spirit. It's a very interesting study through the Gospels to see that Jesus always turned away from the crowd. And when the crowd comes to make him king, to take him by force and make him king, of course, Messiah, you know, the Hebrew idea of king, Mashiach, it means king. Messiah means king, and they come to make him what he is, the Messiah, king, but Jesus turns away because it's the crowd who comes by force to force him to be their forceful king, and to lead their forces. And Jesus refuses to lead a crowd. The only thing that Jesus is ever going to lead is his little flock. But it doesn't matter how numerous. That little flock can be two billion people. But it's not a crowd. It's not, it's not a crowd in search of power and might and typical or conventional political influence. That becomes a very dangerous thing. And so... Uh, In that chapter, I also talk about how the crowd has this instinct to select a scapegoat. You see, when you have a group of people together, and if there's there's rivalry, if there's tension, if there's anger, if there's insecurity, there's always the possibility or the threat of the crowd turning on itself and devouring itself. And what the crowd does is it has this kind of, I'll say it this way, a demonic instinct to select a victim, a scapegoat. It can be another group, it can be another person. And what they do, and they do this unconsciously, but it's done. They take their their anger, their insecurity, their fear, their self-loathing, their rage, they pull it together and they blast them or him or those people. And they 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 cast out their own rage and anger by projecting it upon a scapegoat victim. 
And that's one of the things that Jesus comes to save us from doing. Uh, we, we don't, we can, there, there, is a, there is a way that we can find unity around Christ that does not necessitate the creation of sacrificial victims through the mechanism of scapegoating. I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if I can sum that up any better than that. Uh, I think in the, the, the chapter, chapter three of my book, does a better job of that than just trying to sum it up real quick. But that's what I'm working on. Brian, we don't need scapegoat victims. Brian Zond is our guest. We're talking about his book, A Farewell to Mars. More with Brian Zond right after these messages. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. True story. A Seattle man went to bed with nearly 300 grand in his bank account. By morning, the money had vanished because of some identity thief. Can you imagine? What if some thief got to your life savings? Look, no one can stop all identity theft, but here's what you do. Arm your bank and retirement accounts with LifeLock Ultimate Plus. Yep, LifeLock's best just got better. LifeLock Ultimate Plus is the most comprehensive identity theft protection available, helping protect your identity, your bank and retirement accounts, credit cards, even the equity in your home. How many other ID theft protection services do that? Zero. So why risk it? Get LifeLock Ultimate Plus and sleep easier knowing if a thief goes after your identity or life savings, LifeLock's on it. Visit LifeLock.com now and enter promo code AWARE or call and mention AWARE to save 10% on your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. 1-800-LIFELOCK. 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 Network does not cover all transactions. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials, and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Help your child or grandchild become a well-rounded, moral, and successful adult with a Christ-centered education. Private Christian schools across the country have agreed to reduce their tuitions so families can enroll a student at up to half the cost. Set your sights a little higher and help your student grow closer to the Lord. To find a school in your area and request a voucher, visit DiscountTuitionProgram.com. DiscountTuitionProgram.com is a service of Salem Communications. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Brian Zond has authored a new book. It's called A Farewell to Mars. Uh, We've reached Brian in Nestis Park, Colorado, and we've covered the first three topics. Brian, let's move to number four here. And uh, it's hard to believe in Jesus. Chapter four. I'm eager to hear about this one. Well,. Here's what I do in this chapter. I talk about how the Gospel writer John tells us that prior to the resurrection, Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Now, what is it they didn't believe? And then, and then it goes on, and there's this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, The world hates me, but the world cannot hate you. This is Jesus speaking to his brother, James and Joseph and others. Of course, James becomes, after the resurrection, he becomes the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. But prior to this, they don't believe in Jesus. Now, what is it that they don't believe about Jesus? Is it that they don't believe that he's the second person of the Trinity? Well, they probably don't believe that, but that's an anachronistic way of talking about it. What they didn't believe, it wasn't that they didn't believe he was the Messiah, because they had said to him, if you're doing these signs, uh, go to Jerusalem and do them where everybody can see them. What they didn't believe, Pat, was that Jesus could be the Messiah, that is, the king redeems Israel, and go about the way he was doing, preaching a message of peace, turning the other cheek, loving enemies, not retaliating. Their paradigm of Messiah was completely formed by David or by Judah Maccabeus, these great, um, really, war heroes of Jewish history, who at various times 
had waged wars of liberation on behalf of the Jewish people. And Jesus had, had consistently declined that way of going about being Messiah, and they just didn't believe that Jesus could be Messiah like that until after the resurrection. Well, I think that's not just a, a mere historical analysis. I mean, I would say that we are constantly tempted here in you know, the United States as, as, as Christians to believe in Jesus theologically, religiously, spiritually, even sentimentally, but not politically. We believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. You know, we confess the, the great historic creeds of the Church, but we really don't believe that Jesus is a competent political theologian. So that if we were tasked with framing a political theology drawn only from the words of Jesus, what would it look like? I mean, if I said, give me the politics of Jesus, and you can only use the words of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm afraid that what we'd come up with is something that we largely don't believe in. And, uh, and why is that? Well, because when it comes to political models for running the world, we find it hard to believe in Jesus. And so that's what I'm doing in that chapter. Now I want you to talk about the fifth topic, freedoms. Just another word for? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing story. Um, John chapter 8, uh, Jesus has come to Jerusalem, and we're told that a number of the Judeans uh, were wanting to be his disciples. And Jesus said, you know, instead of Jesus, you know, flattering them and congratulating them, saying, well, that's just fabulous, you're going to be my disciples. Jesus said, well, okay, but if you stick with my teaching, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they said, well, we're, we're, we're free. And Jesus said, well, no, you're not really free. Uh, there, is, there is something that is controlling you. There is something that has a hold of you. There is a dominant sin in your life. And then Jesus almost immediately says, in fact, you are seeking to kill me, the one who has told you the truth. And now keep in mind, Jesus is saying this to prospective disciples. He, he's, he brings up this, this, this uncomfortable matter of their seeking to kill him. And one of the things you have to keep in mind, Pat, about John chapter 8, is it's framed by two attempted stonings. In other words, the chapter opens with, uh, with an attempted stoning of the woman caught in adultery, which Jesus stops. And then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, they are wanting to stone Jesus. And so Jesus says to these prospective disciples, the problem is, is you have this commitment to collective killing. You're of your, you're of your father, the devil. They said, no, we're of our father, Abraham. Jesus said, no, if you were of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? Well, Abraham did a lot of that. But in the context, what Abraham did that Jesus is referring to is he refused to kill in the name of God. When he had the opportunity to sacrifice Isaac, he got the revelation that God does not want people killed in his name. He doesn't require human sacrifice. So that if God, so that if Abraham is the father of monotheism, as we understand it, and he is, he's also the father of the abolition of human sacrifice, which is a very, uh, well, that's, that's a huge step in the right direction for the human race. And so there's this fascinating discussion throughout John 8, where Jesus is saying, you guys are wanting to do the works of your father, the devil. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, and that throws us back to the Cain and Abel story, where Cain kills his brother, lies to himself and God about it, and then goes forth and founds the first city. And that's, that's how the story is told there in Genesis 4, that Cain becomes a rival with his brother, refuses to relate to his brother as brother, relates to him instead as an enemy, rises up against him, kills him, lies to himself and God about it, and then goes forth and founds the first city. That's the way Genesis tells the story of the birth of human civilization. And the dark secret is that it's built around and upon uh, collective murder, and Jesus wants to expose that, and he says that's not freedom. Freedom is not the power to kill your enemies. Freedom is the power and the ability to love and recognize that you're, that what the one whom you call your enemy is, in fact, your brother. And so it's something very radical that Jesus is calling us to. And so freedom is just another word for what? We can use it very euphemistically, and we can, we can throw the word around freedom, but we have to be careful that what we aren't really meaning is uh, the power to kill our enemy. Jesus says that's not freedom, that's slavery. 
What are the things that make for peace that you write about in Chapter 6? Well, I start off the chapter, and because uh, I know that this, this, this question by now certainly is in the mind of the reader. And I say, um, I bring up the subject of pacifism. And, and when we talk about pacifism, we, we have to make sure that we understand what word we're using. It's not passivism, P-A-S-S-I-V, but it's pa- passivism, P-A-C-I-F-I-S-I-M, which means peaceism. But I, I often get asked, well, are you a pacifist? And in, in the asking of the question, it's, it's, it usually takes on kind of an accusatory nature. Um, and, you know, as if there's something uh, morally suspect about that. It's almost being like, you're not a pornographer, are you? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way that I'm usually asked that question. But the answer I give uh, may surprise people. I say, no, I don't claim the label of pacifist. Uh, because pacifism is a political or ethical position on violence that one can adopt apart from Jesus Christ. And uh, like, for example, Kurt Vonnegut, the famous author and humanist, was a pacifist but not a follower of Christ. Uh, What I simply say is I am attempting to follow Jesus Christ faithfully. Now we can have a discussion about how Christ informs us on the subjects of war and violence. But in that chapter, I talk about how when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem at the beginning of well, on Palm Sunday, right before the week of his suffering and all, uh, the crowd was shouting Hosanna, which means save now, and they're they're waving the palms, which was kind of a national symbol of liberation that had begun uh, about 150 years later during the the revolt under uh, Judah Maccabeus. And they, they are welcoming Jesus as a kind of second coming of Judah Maccabeus, the one that will that will uh, launch the war of independence against the occupying Romans. And while this scene is overwhelmingly joyful, remember that Jesus is weeping, and he's weeping over the city. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known the things that make for peace. But you can't see it. It seems to be hidden from your eyes. And then Jesus prophesies throughout that week several times that the day will come because they are so determined on violent revolution against the Romans that it's going to end in their utter destruction, and Jesus gives very specific prophecies about what that's going to look like, and in fact that came to pass a generation later, 40 years later, in the year AD 70, when the Roman general Titus, because of the uh, uprising of the Jews against the Romans in a violent revolution, um, completely and utterly destroyed the city. Jesus was offering them a better way, another way, of going about uh, being the people of God than trying to kill Gentiles in the name of Yahweh. And so the things that make for peace have a lot to do with following Jesus and, uh, and, and taking him seriously as one who gives us an alternative arrangement for human society that Jesus continually calls the kingdom of God. Now uh, we get to topic number seven, and I want you to dig into this one, Brian. Clouds, Christ, and Kingdom Come. Yeah, uh, we, we have Jesus' Jesus' favorite self-designation is the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man 80-sometimes. Um, this is not just some sort of vague, well, it means he's the true human or something like that. No, Jesus is, is working from a very specific passage of Scripture in the book of Daniel, where there is this kind of apocalyptic figure that is seen, that is going to come... Well, well, let me back up. Daniel is in a vision in the court of heaven. He's he's before the ancient of days. And he sees in a vision kind of this uh, overview of history. And there are these beasts that are marching across the, the earth and wreaking all kinds of havoc that... Scholars generally identify with Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But then the vision changes, and there comes up from the earth up to this, up to the ancient of days, one like the Son of Man, and to him is given authority over the nation. Now Jesus says over and over, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, there's going to be a radical change. And Jesus then, later in his ministry, begins to identify himself as the Son of Man. Most notably, 
after he's been arrested and he's standing before Caiaphas during that religious trial, uh, Caiaphas places Jesus under oath and says, well, now just tell me, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus said, yeah, okay, yes, I am the Messiah, and more than that, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says this to Caiaphas, he says, you will see this from now on. He's not talking about something that's going to happen, whatever, thousands of years later. He's saying, you are seeing now the fulfillment of what Daniel had prophesied and a new arrangement of human society under the Son of Man that Jesus claims to be. And so, uh, Pat, what, what, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's gathering up these Old Testament prophecies, as we would call them Old Testament, and he's saying they're coming to pass now. So, you see what happens is, if I talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, or if I talk about uh, prophets say that when Messiah comes, They'll, they'll turn swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Inevitably, somebody tries to perform this eschatological sleight of hand and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's when Jesus comes again. And yet there's no warrant for saying that. Yes, he shall come again to sum up and, and uh, for the consummation of all things, but the fact remains that Jesus Christ has come, and he calls us to take up his cross and to follow him now. We can't use this eschatological... Uh, trick. We can't use it as a loophole to say, well, we're, we're going to be people of peace and follow the Prince of Peace when he comes again. <laughs> no, we follow the Prince of Peace now because we confess that's who Jesus is, and that in fact he is Lord now. He's not Lord-elect. He's not going to reign someday. He is, he is Lord. He is reigning. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's judging the nations even now. And Jesus has given this new uh, ethic, this new morality, this new arrangement to the world in such a profound way that if we continue to move against it, we inevitably end up in all kinds of self-inflicted Gehennas and suffering and sorrow. I mean, one way to understand the wrath of God is it's the shards of self-inflicted suffering that we inflict upon ourselves when we go against the grain of God's new order which is that we love our enemies as ourselves, we love our neighbors as ourselves, we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we don't go with the grain of the universe, which is love, well, then what ends up happening is eventually all kinds of pain and sorrow and suffering that are self-inflicted, and Jesus wants to save us from that. My guest has been Brian Zond. We're talking about his new book, A Farewell to Mars. More after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour. It is AM 950 WTLN. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. As parents, we're responsible for more than just providing the necessities for our children. We are charged with giving them a strong foundation for life. And Family Christian Center School in Claremont can help. FCCS is accredited with advanced ed and offers a blended curriculum for grades kindergarten through 12th grade. FCCS, where the highest principles of education are focused on Christian leadership, self-discipline, individual responsibility, integrity, and good citizenship. The FCCS faculty are highly qualified teachers who are followers of Christ and dedicated student advocates, as well as parent partners. Small class sizes mean more personal attention for your child. FCCS is currently accepting applications for this fall. You can call them at 352-241-0323. That's 352-241-0323. Or you can go online at FCCSchools.com. Schedule your personal tour today. Hey, it's Jackie Velasquez. My husband and I have been married for almost eight years. A couple years ago, we had one of those big talks. We were sitting at the dinner table, and he said, Baby, if I ever have bad breath, please, can you tell me? I thought, wow, we are really married. And you know, I love that. So that's our new rule for one another. And that's pretty cool. We've loved TheraBreath. The toothpaste, the mouthwash, lozenges are natural, not made with saccharin. Not to mention their ability to turn the giant tub of mouthwash into a little footprint on our bathroom sink. For $10 in coupons, visit TheraBreath.com forward slash Jackie. That's J-A-C-I. TheraBreath.com forward slash Jackie. J-A-C-I. TheraBreath products are available at Target, Walgreens, Walmart, Publix, and other fine stores. And don't forget your TheraBreath coupons. Visit TheraBreath.com forward slash Jackie. That's spelled J-A-C-I. TheraBreath.com forward slash Jackie. J-A-C-I. TheraBreath. 
Fresh breath made simple. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Brian Zond, our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about his new book, A Farewell to Mars. Uh, Megan Clinton has written a new book, and she's with us. Uh, her title is called Be Rebellious, Fight Back Against a Culture That Doesn't Care About You. Megan, thanks for joining me. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you so much, Mr. Williams. I hope you're doing well, too. Talk about the title. Uh, who are you writing to, and what does Be Rebellious mean? So I wrote Be Rebellious because growing up as a young woman in today's culture is not like it used to be. It's crazy, and especially being a Christian woman in today's world is even more challenging and difficult. It can actually be a nightmare. And the messages that women get all around from the world and today's culture really don't make any sense. And I wanted to write a book that talks about issues the young women wrestle with every day. Well, let's get started. Uh, there are nine interesting topics you write about in your book, Be Rebellious. The first one is simply called a cruel joke. Uh, what does that mean? So I opened up the story about um, a girl that I actually saw in Myrtle Beach. I call her the Myrtle Beach Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> so she was hanging out with a group of guys that looked more like chow hounds, and she was wearing this short little dress that was just a little too short and was caught by a summer breeze. Mm. And yes, it, you can imagine the rest of the story. But it wasn't about what she was wearing or wasn't wearing in that case. It was the belief that this was actually making a young woman think that she was popular or important, was impressing these guys with what she was wearing or not wearing. But the truth is, these guys don't care about her. I guess you could say it's a booty thing. <laughs> So, you know, in this book, we also talk about the story about a girl named Megan who was bullied online and um, actually at school, too, and she ends up meeting Josh, who is this guy that she thought was super popular and good-looking, and he invested in her, so she thought, but it turns out that later on, he um, sent her a message and said that she was a slut and sent it to all her friends, and she said, well, you're a guy that would make a girl kill herself over, and mm. Megan's parents found her hanging by a belt in her closet, and it turns out that Josh wasn't even real. He was a made-up guy by one of her friends who she'd been mean to. It was her mom. Mm. So it's just sad that, um, you know, girls think that all of, you know, culture is telling us who we are and what we can be, but really we should be putting our worth in Jesus because that's just going to lead us to disappointment and failure in this life. Then you move on to a second topic, don't drink the Kool-Aid, you write. Yes. So the thing I wanted to do in this chapter was just define rebellion. So rebellion is to resist authority, control, or convention, to defy transitions and norms, and to break the rules. And I believe that, you know, today we think about rebellious as being the girl who parties or drinks, or but really we're being rebellion, like everybody's doing those things. And Jesus was actually the greatest rebel in history. His life teachings were radical, unsettling, and even anger-provoking. So I talk about Kool-Aid because I think Kool-Aid is a really interesting analogy because when you drink Kool-Aid, it's really hard to hide. You're either drinking it or you're not drinking it. And who do girls look to to define their security, identity, who is telling you if you've made the cut or the grade? Is it boyfriends, music, movies, models? And sometimes I wonder, why are we trying so hard to fit in when we were born to stand out? And First Peter 3, 2-4 says that what matters is not our outward appearance, but our inner disposition, our inner beauty, gentleness, graciousness, and kindness are all things that God delights in because God looks at the heart. And we also talk about the woman in the Bible, the bleeding woman, who crawled on her hands and knees to get Jesus. And she just wanted to touch him because she knew that if she touched him, she would be healed. And she was definitely a rebel who trusted Jesus. So I want girls to know that they can just relax and enjoy being God's daughters. Now the third topic you write, no longer a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, sometimes life is not fair. And, you know, we have to make a decision about how we're going to live our lives. Are we going to be angry? based on our past hurts, and are we going to live in that anger, or are we going to be an overcomer? And I'm not an expert, but in this story, we introduced the girls to Mo. 
and Mo was a soccer player who struggled with bulimia, and her dad was her biggest fan. But then one day her dad committed suicide, and she clung to anything that would numb the pain. She broke every goalkeeping record at her university, but she was only as good as her last game. And then she ended up being in a major car accident and suffered brain damage, a broken neck, damaged lungs and liver, but it was in that accident that she found God. And, you know, the Bible also talks about the adulterous woman, how Jesus defended her. He came to her rescue, and she left change, and she rebelled against the lies that she was worthless and and no good slut. She only listened to the words of Jesus, and he forgave her and told her to go and sin no more. And I think a lot of girls feel stuck in the past, like they're unable to move on, and they do anything to numb the pain. You know, they turn to cutting, to drinking, to guys. But really, that's not an escape, and there's brokenness all around us every day. So maybe you're tired of the show and tired of just putting a smile on your face every day when the pain cuts so deep. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he gives us a choice. We can undo our past, but we can choose to no longer live in bondage or guilt. And God is longing for us to come back into his arms and rest. Now we go to Dare to Believe. Megan Clinton is our guest. We're talking about her book, Be Rebellious. Dare to Believe, Megan. Yes, so I think that this is actually my favorite chapter in the whole book because I get to tell a story that's really personal to me, and that's about one of my best friends, Jen Barrick. So I think, um, you know, about this chapter, just to open it up, some lies that girls tend to believe is, you know, God doesn't care about me. He has too much going on to see my hurt or pain, and is he really faithful? So Jen was one of my best friends um, throughout middle school and high school, and, you know, it was November. um, In November, we had a choir concert, and we were singing the song called Lord, You Are Holy, and, you know, I just had no idea that after I left that concert, what kind of events would unfold in the night. And a drunk driver hit one of my good friends, Jen, and um, she was left in a coma for several weeks. And, you know, she's left with, she's a lot of difficulties now as a result of that accident. But instead of, you know, holding on to anger and bitterness, she chooses joy and love. And she trusts that God, as she says, is using her scars from this life to show that she is, or that he is not making any mistakes and his plans are perfect. And Jesus allows his scars that he has on his hands and feet from the cross to shout, I love you. And you're worth it. And I love that message that she gives to girls. And in this chapter, we also talk about Hannah. You know, she was the woman who was unable to have children. And she cries out to God, begging for a child. And she trusts that he will provide. And then she does give birth to a son, Samuel, and dedicates him completely to the Lord. And I love this chapter because, you know, if we believe that God is faithful, we know that he is faithful and he is going to protect his children. And we need to trust him and follow him radically. Megan Clinton is our guest. Megan, talk about uh, I Am Woman. So I Am Woman, um, this chapter also, some lies that girls believe are that my worth and my identity are based on what others think of me. My worth to God has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with based on what others think of us. He loves me for who I am, and once I get that, I can be free from bondage. So in this chapter, you know, like every chapter we've talked about, I like to compare a modern-day girl to a radical woman in the Bible. So Teresa is our story in this chapter, and she was Miss America in 2011, and she talks about her struggle with depression. She reminds us that, you know, the crown is going to tarnish and it will grow dull, and her moment on stage will be forgotten, but she will always be God's daughter wherever he places her. And this world is very chaotic, and we don't want to lose sight of where God has placed us. And I like that this chapter talks about how, um, as women, we reveal something wonderful about the character of God. We show his mercy and compassion and tenderness. And we also talk about the story of Esther and how bold and brave she was in crazy circumstances and how she trusted God to deliver her and her people from the hatred of Haman. How about the next topic, sex and sexy? Yes. (laughs) I knew we were going to get there. Yes, we are going to get there. So today's culture tells us basically that you are a joke if you don't have sex or if you say sex for marriage. And we see a lot of athletes that we talk about, like Lolo Jones and Tim Tebow, who we see in the media getting picked on even by their teammates for saving sex for their future spouses. And, 
you know, God's plan for sex and intimacy is not what the world is looking for. The world, you know, always talks about all these sexual experiences. And I don't think I've ever met a woman who doesn't want to be loved. Most women who have sex outside of marriage, you know, they end up feeling dirty and they end up hating those decisions that they've made. And I want to communicate that abstinence is cool. You know, it can be, it's a really beautiful thing when you save sex for marriage and you get to share that with your husband for the first time. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And in this chapter, we talk about King Solomon's bride. And, you know, the Bible can be kind of graphic about how it describes their relationship. And it was a little steamy. But that is how God created sex inside of marriage. He doesn't, you know, prevent or pervert the expression of intimacy. And I want to challenge women to hold on to something like purity in their, you know, sexuality that is beautiful and sacred. Megan Clinton is uh, writing about her book, or talking about her book, Be Rebellious, Fight Back Against a Culture That Doesn't Care About You. Now, Megan, we go from Facebook to face to face. Mm -hmm. What are you teaching us? Well, you know, we have a lot of things available on the Internet now. There's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I can't even keep up with it all, to be honest. And even though we're connected in more ways, I think, than we ever have been before, I also find that a lot of people and young adults are lonelier than they've ever been. And, you know, some lies that we believe, or you know, is that we need to know that real relationships do exist. And that's really important. It's not just all over the Internet or, you know, Match.com. But you really can, you know, get to know someone face-to-face, and you can trust and love someone. And you don't have to go at life alone. And at the end of the day, you only have an audience of one. And he wants us to love one another. And I encourage young women to be mentored and find genuine friends, find good girlfriends, like, of the same sex who are going to encourage you and push you towards your Heavenly Father and show you, you know, we, we are friends of God, and He does love us, and He wants what's best for us. And in this chapter, we talk about Gabby Douglas. You know, she grew up with a lot of challenges, and she channeled her energy into becoming the best gymnast that she can be, and she broke out of the lonely world that she felt like she was in. And the cool thing is, is that relationships matter to her, and she talks about her awesome relationship with her mom, and I think that that is so cool. And then we also talk about Ruth, how she was so close to her mother-in-law. She had that deep bond with Naomi and how she was willing to follow her and leave her comfort zone. And that led her to Boaz and the beautiful life that she lived with him because she had a good friend and she was willing to stick with her till the end. Mm. How about something to live for? Topic chapter number eight. Yeah. So basically this, you know, we some lies that we believe is there's nothing that matters ultimately. You know, you just take care of yourself, and then you get lost in a world of self and selfies, as I like to say. And emptiness, there's a lot of emptiness in today's generation. And it's really hard, you know, for young girls to find their place in the world, but everybody wants to, you know, have value and do something of value. But, you know, the examples that we have are the Britney Spears and the Katy Perrys, who, you know, are just, wanting themselves. But, you know, today's generation is involved in really big issues. They like to be involved in things like sex trafficking, and they want to know that God has called them to something that they can find purpose in. So I think it's important to get involved in God-sponsored projects by serving and investing in others and becoming like radical in the influence in the world. And the girl we talk about in this story was Katie Davis. You know, she went on this mission trip to Uganda that changed everything. And she said while there was overwhelming poverty that she saw, she also saw this beautiful joy that she couldn't express. So after she graduated high school, she ended up coming back to Uganda and teaching a kindergarten class. And then she adopted 13 children who had no families. And she rebelled against the lie that she couldn't make a difference or that she was too young or inexperienced. So there's always something that you can do no matter how old you are to make a difference in the world. And I love the story of Mary, and she was the radical woman from the Bible that we talk about. And I can't even imagine having an angel coming up to me and telling me that I was going to be pregnant. I can only imagine how afraid she was to tell Joseph or her family that she was going to have this son. And not only was she just pregnant, but she was pregnant with the Son of God. So she chose to rebel against fear, and she chose faith. 
My guest is Megan Clinton. We got another segment with Megan talking about her book, Be Rebellious. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. When our daughter Emma was born, we took a look at our credit card debt. It was not a good situation. We had been running up balances for quite some time, and it became a crisis. Finally, my wife Vicki said, call Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496 to talk to a certified counselor. We called them, they contacted all of our creditors, they stopped the collections calls, they got the interest reduced, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your bills, stop collections calls, wipe out late fees, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. We are now completely debt-free, and we will never be in the spot we were again, thanks to Trinity. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496. My name is John. I'm Vicki. And I'm Emma. And, and we're, we're debt-free debt for keeps. That's 1-800-936-5496. There is something about the road that beckons, that invites us to pack up the family and leave the world behind. And there is something about an industry-leading unlimited mileage warranty on a certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz that gives us the freedom to do exactly that. You take to the highway, rack up the miles for up to three years, and drive with the assurance that your Mercedes-Benz is covered. You have the security of being in a car that has been certified to Mercedes-Benz standards, while you enjoy a carefree ownership experience for miles and miles. But... While the mileage is unlimited, your time to take advantage of our certified pre-owned sales event is not. Now through September 2nd, you can also receive complimentary prepaid maintenance and a two-month payment credit on select models, plus three months of Sirius XM satellite radio. So hurry into your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer today and see why we say the odometer is there to record the memories. See your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer for complete details and limitations on certified pre-owned warranties. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Megan Clinton is with us. We've been discussing her new book with the worthy publishers Be Rebellious, Fight Back Against a Culture That Doesn't Care About You. And uh, we have come to Chapter 9, Megan. Mm-hmm. Rebel and Be Set Free. Yeah. I'm eager to hear about this one. Yeah. So, you know, there are two types of people in this world, people who live in bondage and people who are free. So I say let's stop drinking the Kool-Aid and start drinking the living water. And let's not be content where we are, but let's be radical women. I want to live free with no reserves and no regrets. And you may be mocked for it and you may be picked on, but you're not alone. There are women all around the world who are stepping up. And I want girls to remember the examples that we talked about you know, the women that we see today in the world and then the women from the Bible. But it's time for a new generation of women who want to be free and live free. So I say let's do it. Let's be rebellious and start today. If some young women decide to live like that, we can change the world, one young woman at a time. In what ways was Jesus a rebel, Megan? Well, I would say, you know, He's the greatest rebel in history. His life teachings were radical and unsettling and anger-provoking. And Jesus did not conform to, you know, the teachings that were previously taught. He said, you know, I am Jesus. I am the Son of God. And he paved his own path, and he made it beautiful. And, you know, people chose to follow him, and some people hated him. But he didn't care because he had a purpose and he had a plan, and that was to serve the Lord. So what would you tell the parent or parents of a teenage girl growing up today? Yeah, so, you know, I talked to my mom about this a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of moms have a lot of concerns for their young daughters. You know, I don't think that they want their kids to just conform to this world. And, you know, Christian moms want their children to have a relationship with Christ because life is tough. And the world isn't going to worry about you. And they want their daughters to look to Christ, and they want their daughters to stay pure and to have a Christian life, you know, to know that it's not just a list of do's and don'ts, but it actually involves a relationship with the Lord. And 
I think the most important thing that you can give to your daughters is to love them unconditionally, to let them know that nothing that they do is too bad, that it's going to pull them away from your love, because that's how Jesus loves us. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, you messed this up, so I'm never going to give you a second chance. But he continues to love us despite our mistakes. And I think that that's a great message that parents can give their children is that I love you no matter what. And it's never too late to start a relationship with your child. And it just takes time and energy and love. But when you have it, it's beautiful. And that's what I have with my mom and dad. I am not afraid to talk to them about the tough questions. And I think that that's so important because if they're not coming to you, who are they going to? So, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, where you go or what you've done. But if you can just show your child that you love them and that you're there for them and that you support them, I think that's the most beautiful thing and gift that you can give to your kids. What does it look like, Megan, to allow God to define success in our lives? What's that look like? Well, you know, we have a lot of, the world has a definition of success, and then God has a definition of success. So, you know, success to the world is making money, sleeping with people, all of these things. But, you know, Jesus defines success by the heart because he looks at the heart. And I think the most important thing that we can do for him here on earth is to tell other people about him. And, you know, I have to remind myself of this, too. I'm in physician assistant school right now, and, you know, I worry, am I going to make good enough grades? Am I going to be successful at this? And I have to remind myself that when I get to heaven one day, God's not going to ask me, oh, Megan, how did you do on that pathophys test? You know, he cares about where did I spend my time and my energy? Was it just in myself, or was it doing things of eternal significance? And that's what true success is, is, you know, how God defines success. What did your years at Liberty University mean to you? Um, I loved my time at Liberty University. I, my husband went there, and we have a lot of wonderful memories there. But I think my favorite thing about Liberty was that I was able to go to Combo. We had so many Christian people come in who were able to give us such wonderful messages and were able to show us what it is like to truly live a God-driven life. And the professors are wonderful, and they all love the Lord. And it means something when professors pray with you and when they share God's love with you. It's just something that is so wonderful and different compared, you know, to being in a secular school. I loved my time at Liberty. Tell me about your time right now at Jefferson College of Health Sciences. Uh, What are you studying, and where does that lead for you? Yeah, so I'm in physician assistant school at Jefferson College of Health Sciences. Where is that? Where is that located, Megan? In Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. And I just finished my first year last Friday um, of PA school, and basically it is like crazy fast-track like med school. That's basically the best way I know how to describe it. And it's been super challenging, but I have met some wonderful lifelong friends there. And it's just an experience that I've loved being a part of. And I'm hoping to finish my PA degree in December 2015. And it's just been a wonderful time. I've loved my time at Jefferson. The professors are great, too. And, and what does that lead for you? Where, what, what will your career path be? So I'll be hopefully a practicing physician assistant, and um, we'll see what happens after that. I may try to get my doctorate afterwards, and we'll see. But you seem to be drawn to the care or, or the medical world, it looks like. Yes. Good yes, for, I do. Good for you. Thank you. Tell me about the Extraordinary Women Travel Team that you're part of. Yeah. So my mom heads up Extraordinary Women, and we get to do conferences all over America. And it's wonderful to be a part of that because there's so many women that we get to see and minister to and with. And it's great to, you know, come together with different women from all walks of life and to get to sing praise and worship songs with them and to just deepen our faith. And, you know, so many times they say, oh, you've been such a blessing to us. But really, you know, they've been a blessing to us, too, because it just encourages us to continue on. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Tell me about your dad, Dr. Tim Clinton, who we've had on this show, by the way, Megan. Yes, I know. Well, my dad is the best, and of course, I'm the only girl in my family, so I'm a total daddy's girl, but I like to think I have him wrapped around my finger, too. (laughs) But he's a wonderful dad, and I could not have asked for a better father. He truly shows me um, God's love every day, 
And, you know, when I was looking for a husband in Ben, I definitely looked for someone who was very much like my dad. And he's just been a wonderful example to me, and I love him dearly. What have you learned about marriage? Well, I've been married for almost nine months now. That's so hard to believe. But marriage has been awesome. Ben is a great guy. And, you know, I'd like to tell him that we don't have the typical newlywed life because I'm in school and he's working and taking the LSAT because he wants to go to law school. But, you know, I've learned that marriage is a lot about patience and having fun together and growing together. And my favorite times that I spend with him, you know, are at night before we go to bed. We do our devotions together and we pray together. And I just love the strong spiritual leader that he is. And I think that that's, you know, one of the most important things about marriage is being able to just grow together in every way. What do you want uh, people, uh, young women particularly, to take from our conversation and the book you've written, Be Rebellious? I want young women to know um, that God loves them and that He is there for them, and it doesn't matter where they've been in life, but they can choose to live a life that is rebellious and radical for God. And I just want them to see that life isn't all about what the world says that you are or claims that you are, but it's about who Jesus says you are, because He loves you unconditionally and so much more than this world loves you. And I want them to grow and become the women that God has created them to be. Do you have another book in your pipeline, Megan? Well, not currently at this second. This is my newest one, but I do have some ones that I wrote before this. Yeah, that's true. You, you've written one with your dad, and you've uh, yes. put, put a few of them out there. And so uh, this, hopefully this will be your greatest one, Megan. And, uh, Thank you. I know, I know it'll have a great impact, and I'm just uh, very pleased that we could visit. Uh, my very best to your family. Uh, keep keep studying and uh, yes. and uh, keep promoting your book. It's going to make a difference, no question. Thank you. Thank you so much. Megan Clinton, our guest. We've got a wrap-up right after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour at AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. The following is an important notice to consumers who owe the IRS back taxes. The Internal Revenue Service is currently accepting reduced settlements and other favorable programs for consumers owing $10,000 or more in back taxes. With many consumers nationwide facing tax problems, this offered reduction and other relief options can help ensure your financial stability during our nation's recovery. This may result in your back taxes being reduced by thousands of dollars and all collection efforts against you stopped. If you have received notices in the mail, have your wages being garnished, or are under audit due to owing the IRS over $10,000, a toll-free line has been established to take your call and let you know what relief you qualify for. Potentially save thousands by calling now to learn and take advantage of these programs. For your free consultation, call 911 Tax Relief now at 1-800-279-7767. 1-800-279-7767. That's 1-800-279-7767. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us for the uh, Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour. We always enjoy having you tune in and listen to us. Uh, Brian Zahn, our guest in the first half hour, uh, talking about his new book, A Farewell to Mars. And then Megan Clinton. Uh, talking about Be Rebellious, a book that she has written to uh, teenage girls and uh, had a powerful message for us. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my latest book is out. It is called Triumph, a collection of terrific stories that uh, you're going to really enjoy. Uh, Barber Books is the publisher. It's in bookstores now, up on Amazon.com as well. And uh, please check it out. In the meantime, have a wonderful uh, Sunday tomorrow morning with your uh, family and a great week ahead here in Central Florida. We'll be back for more next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Evening Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.